everyone. Uh, this is Joanne LaRock, and uh, my podcast is Life, Musings, Re- uh, Reflections, and Stories. Uh, how's everyone today? It is uh, October 12, 2023, and I am going to be talking to my guest. Her name today is Annette Vermet. She is a Bachelor of Arts and a Bachelor of Social Work, uh, and uh, she just recently uh, wrote and published a book, and I spotted it on the Sudbury Writers Guild uh, Facebook group. And uh, I would like to introduce everyone to Annette, and maybe she could talk to me about the name of her book right now. So go ahead, Annette. Nice that you, uh, I'm glad that you joined me on my podcast, Annette, and thank you for that. And uh, maybe you could introduce yourself and maybe let the audience know who you are and what the name of your book is, please. Good morning, and thank you, Joanne, for inviting me uh, for this podcast. Uh, social media goes a long way. And um, so I, um, I'm glad you noticed my book uh, on the site. It's called Overrepresented Indigenous Women as Profit Makers for the Canadian Judicial System. And so the, this book actually... Uh, came about or was born um, when I was working on my master's and it was going to be my thesis and uh, but then I had to withdraw from the program and but I kept my written work and I published it into a book and uh, so it, it just came out this year Good uh, for this you. summer mm-hmm. and, and so it, Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, it um, it it's been it's been promoted. It's being promoted and spread, uh, very very quickly. I do believe in the topic, and I do believe, um, that it's a topic that uh needs to be uh discussed. Yes. Okay. So let's uh, we're gonna go back to your book. But let's start at the beginning, uh, if you don't mind. I always like to, I find people so fascinating. And uh, and this is why I started my podcast. I just, I find people interesting and and I want to know more about other people. So let's start, Annette, with, uh, if you could tell me a little bit about your background, your childhood. Let's say, uh, I believe you, you had mentioned to me earlier, you are Indigenous, you're Métis. My husband is Métis as well as, as, as our children. And uh, if you don't mind, Annette, just to open up and share a little bit about your your background, please, for us. Yes, yeah, so I, I was raised in St. Charles, Ontario, and uh, we, we lived um, on, on a farm and we had some animals and stuff. But um, one of the things my father used to do is uh, bring us, you know, on the land and, and show us that... Uh, we can harvest this and eat that and make tea out of this and and whatnot. And I thought everybody did that. <laughs> and, <I> thought, <laughs> yeah. and then when I when I got to university and I was studying, uh, both degrees are in the indigenous stream. And I started to learn about those medicines. It it reminded me of uh, what my father had taught us. And the funny thing, when I was raising my own children. And uh, we would go to the park or uh, activities with other families and children. I would show my kids, oh, you can eat this and you can eat that. 
And then I would hear the other mothers tell their children, don't eat that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I continue to, uh, to show my kids, you know, what uh, some of those good medicines on earth. And so that, that's where I'm from. Um, we what would that, what would that what would that be? I know that uh, my husband always talked about dandelion root for for curing certain ailments. And what kind of um, was your father indigenous or Métis as well? I yes, imagine. yes, he was. Oh, yeah. so so he learned some of his culture from his background then. Exactly. Yeah. So, what kind of uh, uh, foods would you eat that are were from the ground that you were taught by your father? Oh, I mean, there's there's clover. Uh, we would pick the clover leaves and kind of shake them around to get a bit um, the bugs out and, and eat the clover. And um, I mean, dandelions, another one. And uh, we would get sap from the trees and chew it as gum. And um, and, and there's other plants too, like uh, pretty much anywhere in the forest or in the field. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm not a promoter. Uh, like I, do, I don't discuss really those things I eat because I wouldn't want to put across the wrong message or the wrong recipe. I, I let the uh, knowledge keepers do that, the people, who, the elders who uh, know their stuff a lot more. Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. so that's interesting. So you grew up with, with uh, an Indigenous background and a Métis background, and, and so this was in St. Charles, which is between Sudbury and North North Bay, Ontario. That's for our listening audience yeah. because we uh, we have uh, audience members uh, all through Canada, in the United States, uh, some in uh, India, and uh, and so on and so forth. So a lot of the people might not be familiar as to where St. Charles is. So it's a, it's a small right. kind of farming community, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Another, another little funny story too is I always thought. Uh, baked beans were uh, a French um, recipe, and uh, when I was in university, and every event that we attended, uh, every social event, uh, there was baked beans on the menu, <laughs> on the Indigenous menu. Oh. And, I made, and I made a comment one time, and uh, to the group, and and I said, like, isn't that like a French recipe? <laughs> 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 and it's it's not because I claim it as French Canadian because yeah, I my grandmother yeah. we called her nanny uh Lynn Dupuy Millette whenever we went to visit her my parents with the six kids would go to visit nanny and pappy and she always had this big cast iron pot that she cooked baked beans in and it was the best and I always thought oh that's my French French background <laughs> yeah, but it's it's yeah. from an indigenous background you're saying it is well, there yeah. you go. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people have tried, I suppose, to claim it as, yes. as their own. But, I mean, beans was uh, one of the four uh, staples in the Indigenous uh, menu, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so yeah. it's actually Indigenous, but... Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. did, did you? So you had the traditional baked brown beans with the maple syrup and, and the bacon yeah. and... Oh, oh, I just love that yeah. meal. <laughs> so, and then, uh, so you had, you had, how many siblings were there in your family? 
Uh, we were six all together. Six? All the same yeah. as my parents, six. And my mm-hmm. husband and I, we have a blended family with six kids, and our youngest two are ours from our second marriage. So six children. So are, is everyone still in Ontario, um, all of your siblings? Um, well, one of them has passed. Oh, and, I'm sorry uh, to hear that. One, one of them lives in Quebec. Okay. Um, yeah, and the other ones are all in Ontario. Okay. And what made you decide to, to go off from a little town in St. Charles College to come to possibly, was it Sudbury for your university education? It was, yeah. What made and you decide to, to, to pursue uh, social work? Well, that, uh, that, that kind of goes back, like, uh, you know, a few decades ago. I mean, first, when I left high school, I went to Ottawa, uh, with a couple of friends of mine, and we we were out there for about twelve years or so, and uh, you know we worked and and uh, matured and uh, did what we had to do. And I came back uh, to the area, and um, and I remember when my son was in my son was two years old, and I remember calling the university and asking how do I go about. Uh, you know, applying for university, and and so my desire to go uh, goes way, way back. My son is now thirty. Oh, and uh, yeah, and so I always knew I wanted to go. I just didn't know when, and I didn't know how I was going to go about it. But um, one of the funny things that happened uh, at then as well is um, I had a dream one night that um, I wanted to be. I wanted to participate in a sweat lodge. I had never heard of a sweat lodge. I didn't know what it was. I had never seen them. I I knew nothing about a sweat lodge. But uh, that was the dream I had was that I needed and wanted to participate in one. And so when I got up, I called a few friends of mine and, and asked, you know, what is it? And 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 um you know gained a little bit of knowledge and and so i mean one of my friends uh relates that uh that's that bloodline memory mm-hmm. um you know coming through yes. the ancestral uh kind of uh methods and knowledge and uh so um so fast forward that about um 15 years of, uh, or so my son I think was about 15 years old when I, I went to university and it, it just happened perfect in a perfect way because I, um, I was offered a contract job at Laurentian mm-hmm. and, um, I took it and, uh, then I found out that I could, uh, take some courses as an employee, uh, back then you, you, you could take some courses at no cost and, and I did that. And then my job got um, cut, uh, you know, due to budget cuts and stuff. And that's when I decided that I already had one year under my belt um, and that I would, I would just keep going. And so when my job was cut, um, I, I, that next September, I started uh, university full time. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't easy either because my kids were teenagers. How many kids do you have, if you don't mind me asking? I have two. Okay. I have a, a daughter and a son. Oh. And, um, and were you, so, so you were a single mom then? Yeah. Oh, yeah, boy. I was just newly a single mom. 
Wow. And uh, determined to make it. Good for and, you. Um, and I wanted to teach my kids that we always have choices. Um, I, yeah. I didn't want to uh, put negative ideas in their head or, you know, that I'm doing this uh, for any other reason other than advance. And, um, and so I told them we always have choices. And, um, and that's how I got to go to university. I am so proud of you. I just met you, but I'm already so proud of you, Annette. Good for well, you. Thank you. And and the thing is, <laughs> when I started university, I was 45. Oh my and goodness! My goal was to graduate when I was 50, and uh, five which years, was, which was a reasonable timeline, and I did it. Oh my god! I graduated in May of one year, uh, 2012, and. Uh, I turned 51 uh, the next September. Good for you. I'm so proud of you. It's never too late to go back to school. No, and no, it's definitely not. Yeah. And And why social work? What was the reason? go ahead. Yeah, what was the reason for social work? Well, I I knew that um, my, my job was going to be cut. I knew approximately, you know, my last date, and I started doing my homework, looking at which program I wanted to take, and you know what kind of work would uh, be, you know, effective for uh, for me for the rest of my life, even in older age, kind of thing. Yeah. And, and social work was one of them, and the indigenous one uh, really uh, stuck to me um, because I read the literature. And I, I really appreciated uh, the holistic approaches in healing and the holistic um, uh, uh, courses that were part of it. And, and it stuck to me um, like glue. Oh. I, I knew without a doubt that that was my program. Yeah. And so after you graduated, and congratulations. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, yes, after you graduated, did you secure employment at that after at that yeah. stage? Yeah, short, shortly after, um, uh, a couple of months um, after I graduated. Um, well, he, I mean, here's the rest of the story, too, is while I was um, working on that degree, I also took additional courses, an overload, uh, trying to earn, you know, some additional credits. And um, so in the end, when I graduated, I actually had a degree and a half. And so that summer, after I graduated in 2012, I took a couple more courses throughout that summer uh, to bring me even closer to that other degree. Mm -hmm. And once those courses were done and... Uh, I got a job right away uh, with the hospital here in oh. Sudbury as a social worker. Oh, and, uh, uh, concentrating mm-hmm. more with Indigenous peoples, is, is that, or well, just no, with the general a, population? general population. Mm-hmm. And how did you find that kind of work? I, could, I heard I've never, I've never done social work. I did some work that was kind of like that, vocational counseling, but uh, not social work. Did you find it stressful? I, I know, I know briefly I worked for the Children's Aid Society, but uh, not in the social work area. And uh, there's a, a lot of uh, higher incidences of stress where uh, social workers would go home at the end of the day and they couldn't stop thinking and worrying about the child that they might 
you know, be worried about. Let's say, how did you find working at the at the hospital? Yeah, yeah, there there were some stressful cases. Absolutely, uh, you worry that um, you know uh, people who have expressed um, uh, you know self harm or um, suicide and stuff like that. You worry about uh, uh, about them, you know, during the night. But I always adopted um, a, a method that if I'm only going to see this person once, and and that was very very likely that I would only see them once. Mm-hmm. What is the best I can tell them? What is the best I can do for them if I only get to see them once? And that method really worked for me. Um, because I was able to be transparent with people and and honest and uh, be very helpful in finding resources and uh, solutions and coping methods and um, you know a, a plan uh, to uh, uh, come back and, and 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 see me or see another worker yeah. and so that was my favorite. Um, opening is what is the very best I can do for this person. And that that is a commendable aspiration for sure. Can I just jump back to your parents, please? Um, You mentioned your father was uh, Indigenous or Métis. Did he happen to attend residential schools? No, he did not. No, he, my father was raised in uh, Quebec, um, it's about an hour past uh, Quebec City um, in the township of... Was oh, it be- uh, Buckingham? Buckingham? No, um, Comté de Bellechasse. Okay. Yeah. So being made to... St. Charles, actually, in, in that uh, county as well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And what about your mom? You, you had, where, what well, was her background? She, she was raised in, in St. Charles. But her maternal uh, family was originally from uh, the Embram area, just past Ottawa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and her father was from Ile-aux-Allumettes, uh, which is uh, just over the border uh, at Pembroke. Okay. Um, I don't think it's called Ile-aux-Allumettes anymore. Um, but it's, um... There's a Calaboogie, uh, near Arnprior. On the other side, yeah. Okay, um... Just over the Ottawa River. Okay, yeah, there's a place called Peace Something. One of my friends, Mary Louise, brought me there because it's very Pontiac. beautiful. Pontiac, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, hmm. No, is that where Pontiac is? So your mother was background... Her background was French-speaking or heritage or...? Uh, yeah, so, um, yes, we, we've always been French-speaking. Okay. And, um, uh, but both my maternal grandparents have that Métis heritage as well. Okay. There's a few relatives of mine who did some research, and I've never really looked into it. I don't know if you know uh, the elder here in Sudbury, Juliette Denis, and um, I was sitting at um, one of her presentations one time, and she had on the board uh, some of her relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I recognized like five, six, seven names. Oh, my goodness. As, as she was speaking. 
And these were her uncles and great uncles and, and stuff like that. Um, and after, after her presentation, I approached her, but I knew her from before her and I go back a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And I approached her and I said, you know, those names that you mentioned, uh, they're my relatives too. Oh my goodness, small world. (laughs) And she said, said, I'm not surprised, Annette. She said, you and I have (laughs) always connected in a way like relatives do. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So then you worked for the hospital. Uh, Was it the General Hospital or the Memorial Hospital here in Sudbury, Ontario? It it was the the new one there, the Health Sciences North. Oh, Health Sciences North and formerly Laurentian Hospital. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. So you worked there, and then did you? Are you still working there, or you're a professor at one of the colleges now? You had mentioned to me earlier. Well, yeah. So in in between uh, the now and and back then at the Health Sciences North, that was in 2012. Um, I also worked for uh, Nipissing University counseling students, and and then I started to expand in Ontario. Uh, my husband and I went to Chapleau, uh, Manitowoc, uh, Marathon. Um, I did a little bit of work, uh, a little bit more up north, like Long Lac and that, mm-hmm. and um, Iroquois Falls. Then uh, I then we came back. Well, after Timmins, we lived in Timmins a couple of years, and then after uh, I came back, I, I worked in North Bay. And and now we're back in Sudbury, and it's because the grandkids are here now, and um, yeah. we wanted to be closer to them. Oh, and do you mind if I ask what your husband do, does for a living, or, or is he retired? Oh, he's, he's a retired uh, police officer. Oh, that's interesting. My husband's yeah. a retired railroader. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah. your husband worked for the police force here in Sudbury, or just at all those lo- locations? That you yeah, were... uh, all all locations. Yeah, oh. he's OPP. Oh, he's OPP. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he uh, lived uh, a little bit everywhere too. Yeah, yeah. I, I just interviewed my friend Noella Rinaldo from Timmins. So, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know her. She was she's always on the news, <laughs> talking oh. about the city of Timmins. But uh, yeah, small world. I we used to live in Abitibi Canyon, which is north of Timmins. Yeah, Fraserdale. Yeah. My father worked for Ontario Hydro, so I certainly know the the north, <laughs> yeah. northern Ontario for sure. Now let's talk about your amazing book. You're get there's a lot of buzz out there about your book, and uh, and again it is t- entitled Indigenous Women as Profit Makers for the Canadian Judicial System, but the actual name or title of your book is called Overrepresented. So you yeah. were working on this uh, originally as a thesis for your master's, but what inspired you to write this book, Annette? Well, as, as a social worker within these northern communities where I work, uh, the topic of legal issues came up a lot. And it, it's funny because every organization I worked with, um, the cases or the clients that um, presented with legal uh, issues were always assigned to me. And uh, it is a passion that I have. I mean, um, I, I feel for people and and women especially who have been wrongly involved with the law and um and especially in northern communities where 
uh, services are not always available. And, and I went through this myself in one of the northern communities. I was looking to uh, get uh, a new um, social insurance card because mine had uh, broken. Mm-hmm. And um, the federal government office um, would come from uh, a slightly bigger uh, urban center mm-hmm. and come to this small community once every two months uh, to help people, uh, you know, with their cards and IDs and, and issues and whatnot. And then I had made an appointment and uh, waited two months and all of a sudden, it wasn't even winter and uh, this person who was supposed to come uh, um, declined. Apparently she was sick and and they just didn't come. Mm. And so that was put off for another two months. And and I found that so restrictive. And, and so, I mean, I feel that uh, they could have sent somebody else. I'm sure there was somebody else qualified, uh, you know, within the office. And and I found that uh, very disheartening, you know, when people are waiting. Now, the other yeah. thing, too, is uh, the court system uh, in those small communities. Uh, the court only occurs maybe once a week, once every two weeks. And if something happens... Uh, that you can't get to that small village or city, uh, then then you're you're labeled as defiant. And so oh, I didn't realize uh, that. So you're the victim is labeled as defiant because they can't access the court system. Let's say it's a, is would it be would that involve let's say domestic abuse per se? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Sometimes it mm-hmm. is and. And, and other crimes and or supposedly crimes. There's there's been a lot of women on my caseload that were wrongly accused, and and the unfortunate thing is they've got to uh, pay you know several thousands of dollars as a retainer or as a um, a commitment kind of thing. And then when they're deemed um, um, not guilty, they don't get that money back. No. And uh, so that was another uh, discrepancy that that really really hurt me because people are working so hard for their money, and um, and they're being wrongly accused and 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 stuff like that. What would some of the crimes be that they would be wrongly accused of that you uh, ran into yourself with oh, some of your clients? There was there was one incident in, and I'm not going to mention the community because these <laughs> communities are are small. Oh yes, scenarios can be identified. Oh easily. yes, <laughs> but, um, in, in one of the communities, um, uh, I was walking home for lunch one day, and I noticed all these unmarked police cars and like a lot of them, you know, ten, twelve of them, kind of thing. And I thought, oh, oh, something, something's going on here, and um, and sure enough, the next day uh, I get clients in my office who the net the, the prior day had been uh, charged or uh, um, accused of a crime. So one of them, that you know, the the people were in a group, and what and was the group? one lady was living with a relative okay. because her house or her apartment was being fumigated and oh my um, gosh. and uh, because she was there 
she was uh, charged with uh, drug offenses. And um, so what she did is um, at her sister's uh, urgency, uh, she went to the hospital right away and got a blood test. And so, of course, there's no drug in her body. And her sister at the hospital, and I didn't even know her sister. I didn't know the client either. And her sister said, first thing tomorrow morning, you show up at this lady's office. And um, and and I always wondered why. <laughs> but it's because people knew in that community that I was going to fight for them and I was going to uh, counsel them and and try to make things right. And, and so my reputation um, had already um, been known in the community that uh, helping women who are accused of crimes and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So you in, were in the legal uh, system that I that I would be uh, uh, their their advocate for them. Good for you. That's amazing. And and then as far as did you experience seeing any women charged with uh, or men charged with human trafficking that that far um, up in northern Ontario? Well, not not exactly, but I mean, there's been a couple of clients that um, I got to see in uh let's say as an urgent request at the hospital you know in crisis mode kind of thing and i never really got to know their story but i always wondered what did they come to this community for and and, uh two of them for sure um were in in fear of their life and and so but i never got to know uh, what their full story was, mm-hmm. um, I can only go uh, with, um, you know, the solution sometimes. If they're not going to tell me, they're not going to tell me. No. And that's okay, but I still have a responsibility uh, to make things right for them yeah. in that moment. So was it trafficking? I, I don't know. But um, other than that, I haven't come across any, no. Mm-hmm. And, well, it seems to be more prevalent now. So would you say seeing these experience, or having these experiences with women in these northern Ontario towns that experienced an, uh, an unfair uh, lack of judicial system that they they couldn't access and then if they wanted to access they had to pay huge dollars for a lawyer to retain a lawyer so you saw this in northern ontario and and you could only go to court like you say once a week if that and it would be a lawyer from out of town so there'd be travel expenses i'm sure involved so this is what inspired you thinking back on your history of, of being in these northern Ontario towns. So I'm, I'm, I'm speculating then that this is what inspired you to write this book and, and how the Indigenous women in particular how profited from this lack of uh, access. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, that, that is a portion of what inspired me to, to write this book. Um, the, uh, the injustices... Um, are you know um, they're they're prevalent in in my mind and and in my methods too, and um, and I I read uh, uh, a, um, 
I think, uh, an editorial or something by Vicky Chartrand, who's a professor. And, and she relates that, that people don't access the restorative options enough. But then on the flip side, the author Harold Johnson uh, elaborates in his book that the more we incarcerate or the more incarceration is used, the more it results in incarceration. And and so it, it doesn't make any sense to me um, that things just keep going around and around and around and that systems are not restored, they're not revamped, they're not uh, working for the people. And and so one of the one of the major thoughts that uh, occurred to me uh, throughout all of these uh, running around and around and 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 not um, being in positions uh, that kind of roadblock people is um, okay roadblock people. So what yeah, do you mean by and, that? Uh, so I, I started to think that um, who benefits from. Uh, from these incarcerations, and and why are the numbers so high? Vicky Chartrand elaborated that back then, in two thousand and eighteen, uh, that the um, the rate of incarceration for Indigenous women uh, was at around fifty percent. It's actually now uh, between fifty and fifty-two. Can, but can it, I got, it got me to think, why? Yes, and that's why? what I, that would be my next question: is why? Would there be these crimes committed by Indigenous women, yeah. and are they legitimate so, crimes? So when 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 a person can allow themselves to be a historian, you know, and do some research and and gain knowledge and stuff, it's it's not any different than uh, you know the damage that was done through residential schools and the '60s scoops and disrupting families and whatnot. It, it's just another attempt at, uh, you know, disruption and and harm kind of thing. And so to further that, I, I it made me wonder who benefits from this. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's not the women that benefit, because uh, how much are you going to benefit in, in prison exactly? And it's definitely not the families. I mean, the research indicates that um, the whole families are disrupted. And it's definitely not the government because they are the ones uh, providing the money, which right now I do believe is uh, 92, uh, 92 billion kind of thing. Oh my and, goodness. Um, so anyways, uh, so the, the, the only ones left to benefit are uh, the suppliers, the suppliers of uh, labor, the suppliers of uh, employment uh, categories and uh, suppliers of uh, items and electricity and you know and stuff like that. Um, those are the ones who are benefiting. And um, so you're saying I, all of yeah. these other different factors involved with the judicial system. That's you're, right. You're yeah. suggesting in your book uh, that the incarceration of Indigenous women at a much higher rate than, let's say the rest of the population benefits yeah. more all these other aspects of the judicial system, which kind yeah. of funds the system unfairly through on the backs of Indigenous women. And what kind of crimes are we talking about here? Is it drug-related, oh. prostitution, uh, robbery, assaults? Yeah. 
All, all of the above. All of the above. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And uh, Madonna, Madonna Maidment in her book, uh, When Justice is a Game, um, she points out as well that, um, you know, when, when people uh, who are being charged don't have the means to mm-hmm. defend themselves, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and that is the case for a lot of the communities, then that's what the judicial likes. You know, people who uh, don't have the means or the methods to defend themselves. And, and so that's why, uh, one of the reasons why the Indigenous populations are favoured, um, because of the many, many factors wrapped around uh, not defending yourself kind of thing. Um, would you would you have mentioned the pro bono system, which is where lawyers volunteer their time uh, and uh, answer the calls uh, throughout Ontario if you have a, a legal question to ask or you're rep- self-representing and then you have an income that is below a certain level that people can access the pro bono system. Uh, have you ever brought that up with, with some of your clients? That, um, that no, might... actually, I didn't because I've never had any luck with that. Okay. I mean, even in, in questions that I had in my personal life, they only answer yes or no. And uh, you ask the question. Yes, and, and that's they, true. They really tell you, well, I can't elaborate on that, but... Uh, uh, please ask questions where I can say yes or no. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, yes. Pro bono Ontario has its advantages, but yes, you you are limited if you are self representing and you yeah. maybe don't have the means to to pay for a, a retainer fee for a lawyer and the ongoing legal costs. That yeah. uh, when you do call pro bono Ontario, if you are trying to represent yourself, that it. You are kind of still left out on a limb and and uh, end up trying to Google everything or bug the clerks at the courthouse, and it can be very very intimidating for sure, and not Absolutely. fair to. I mean, what about legal aid though? Um, would some of these people not have been able to access legal aid? Yeah, well, well, legal aid uh, is not available in every town either. Eh? Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. And uh, so those northern communities. Um, uh, don't qualify, let's say, for legal aid uh, because of distance. But there is also now an agency uh, based out of Thunder Bay, and they have several offices now um, uh, throughout Ontario. But their catchment area is is limited as well. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, and I, I can't remember their name there. There, there was there is an office in Timmins, Thunder Bay. Um, uh, Sioux Lookout and Kenora and, and those areas there. And it's and a, a holistic team. Oh, uh, that's, I never heard of that before. Uh, how, how can the legal system change in Canada to, to help uh, vulnerable persons who might inadvertently or on purpose get involved with the, the criminal aspect of, of life and or sometimes uh you know, let's say a, a woman is being abused and she fights back and uh, kills her husband, let's say, or or the child assault, uh, sexual assault happens to a woman and she fights back, or to a, a, a young man, let's say, if he's being sexually abused by his hockey coach, let's say, 
and but they're indigenous also and or less fortunate as far as money's and income concern how can you how can the legal system change to help people in Canada sorry that well, was a long-winded question <laughs> but uh, you know, that's um that's the what what I write in in my conclusion okay in, in my book here is I mean yes absolutely changes can occur um, change is always a very slow process but I mean Thunder Bay has the um, the uh, uh, legal the legal center there that the Ontario government and Thunder Bay are collaborating on mm-hmm. and they have a holistic there a team there as well but uh, or sorry it's uh, Kenora Justice Center and uh, about what I describe in chapter five is um, um, uh, hang on here. So, um, I mean, they can access resources that they can, but it, it's not only that. Is um, other authors like uh, Adam Cahane describes um, the drive to unity. I mean, he is a person, an author who um, uh, favors um, and works towards, you know, community healing and. Um, and he describes the drive to unity, um, and a description of that would be. Um, and this um, is in your you know, book, in chapter yeah. five. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he describes that uh, the drive to everything living realize itself, um, as well as the drive to reconnect and make whole that which has become or appears fragmented and that's exactly the legal system it's fragmented mm-hmm. and not every province does it the same way not every town does it the same way and and stuff like that so in order to reconnect those fragments of a socially complex challenge mm-hmm. such as the practice of incarceration the system must be viewed as a whole so as a whole is where those uh, offices and agencies and people and professionals actually come together to work, which is what the Kenora Justice Center does. So and, there, there uh, is some at, change. At that there. in that holistic approach, mm-hmm. you get the diverse perspectives and interests, the competing voices and ideas, and um, they all purposely come together uh, to reconcile failures and su- successes. And so. I mean, what I'm, I think I'm trying to say is, uh, you know, um, let go of the ego. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, we're talking about people here. We're talking about humans. We're talking about people's futures and family disruptions and, and whatnot. Like, let it go. I you know. know and, but... and work together. It can be done. It is being done in Norway. Uh, yes, let's talk about it in Norway. Let's no. let's talk about Norway. They seem to be at the forefront of changing, uh, you know, the method of retribution and making it more of a workable system. What is Norway doing that we could learn from in Canada, in the United States, as far as helping uh, less fortunate in the judicial system? What is Norway doing? Yeah, so, so Norway, uh, first of all, report... Um, one of the world's lowest rates of recidivism. And uh, Canada and the States are very high, but there's other countries too. But uh, Norway reports one of the lowest. 
And so their model of alternative penalties uh, include uh, the obligation to work, do community service, um, attend those regular meetings with the officials. They wear an electronic monitoring. Okay. And and the recidivism is is so much lower. Um, Right now, or when I wrote the book in 2000, or when I started 2020, 21, mm-hmm. uh, with a population of 5.1 million, uh, the offender rate is uh, in Norway um, is 0. 0. 0. 0.0007. 0.0007. Yeah. That 0. is in, 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. Point zero zero one. Point zero zero one. So people in Norway are are being uh, accountable for for their crimes, mm-hmm. and but then they're not being shamed and withdrawn from their families and their community, and they're still able to live a productive life and um, you know be with their children and their families. And so they're not being shamed and isolated the way Indigenous people are 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 being treated here in Canada and the state. It's uh, yes, yes, I'm sure in in both countries. And uh, do you foresee such a so you do foresee a method in Canada that you foresee possibly change? But who who would be the the advocators for this change? Would it be just regular folk? like us that you know would demand from their politicians to to try to change the judicial system or would it be chiefs from different uh first nations communities saying okay we've got to make this better who would be the ones that would actually initiate change in canada well it it won't be just uh one agency or one group of people that's for sure it's going to be a a collective uh, creation um like uh um mr kahane the author says it's it's got to be collective Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's how he models uh the solutions to social challenges he as as a as a speaker and and as a motivator um he always adopts a method of collective creation. And I mean, in the book, I I talk about uh, synonyms and um, words, um, descriptive words that um, lead to a solution um, or even a portion and and words such as realize itself, reconnect, Mm -hmm. make whole, contribute to development, and synonyms such, and these come from Adam Kahane, synonyms as well, such as uh, regenerate, revitalize, and alliance. Alliance, that's what we're talking about right now, is it's not going to be just one person or one group. It's going to have to be an alliance. But, mm-hmm. I mean, as a general population, um, a, a person, an individual, can be a historian. So read back yes. <laughs> to those stories of the past and look at those examples and look at those yes. injustices and be that historian and um, and put all those pieces together 
And when it starts making sense that history is repeating itself and the methods are, are not different than they were, you know, uh, during the um, residential school era, era it's, um, it's all the same. So if people can be that historian and look back and read about those, um, then um, mindfulness may come uh, as a method uh, of reconciliation or a method of being uh, to get involved somehow. Another thing, too, is don't believe everything you hear. And, and yes. Be, um, not some... at all. Be selective when you do your research. I mean, how many times has uh, government agreed to give money uh, to groups? But it all looks nice and dandy in the news. Yes. But it never actually gets there. Yeah, I, I <laughs> kind know? of starting to realize. people wonder, well, how come, you know? Yeah, there's well, a ribbon the cutting. Is, the money actually doesn't get there. <laughs> there's the ribbon cutting. There's the photographs with the MP or MPPs yeah, yeah. or what senators, let's say. Um, do you, uh, if the women or the communities are not receiving these kinds of healing benefits in prison when they are incarcerated, let's say, because they, they didn't have the monies to have a lawyer represent them, so they're incarcerated. Who reaps the benefits? This is the basis of your book. Your, your book yeah. is saying someone's making a profit from yeah. incarcerating these Indigenous women, because that's what we're talking about today. Yeah. <clears throat> so who's benefiting? from incarcerating well, these women and destroying their lives. Let's say uh, some of them, are, you know, let's say they're not getting off the hook. Some of them that are, let's say, addicted and they steal. and what, But some sometimes it's just circumstance and they end up in jail. And then who benefits? Yeah, well, it's, it's the suppliers. I mean, suppliers as far as... Um, you know, jobs and items and services and goods and um, anything uh, that that translates to money. Um, mm-hmm. Whoever goes home with the money, with the and paycheck, it's not the inmates, not the families, not the communities. It's certainly not the funding bodies. Um, but who is it that goes home with the money? Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, suppliers of every kind, goods and services. And um, the paychecks for the the yeah. guards at the jail, the paychecks for the lawyers, the, the you know the administration staff, and so mm-hmm. they're you're saying the higher incarceration rate of Indigenous women and of course Indigenous men, etc., and then putting them back into jail, let's say time and time again, without helping them truly using let's say grassroots organization to help them heal, such as following the example in Norway, then the system, the, the courts, the jails, everything keeps going and money yeah. is being made. Such a fascinating um, thought to this because without, you know, your book is, is more or less talks about this and it's shameful. To, it, is. it is really shameful. So what system would you say would incorporate uh which would incorporate a mindful approach to retribution and to kind of help fix this. What would be the first step? A grassroots organization or one person that's like, who would they call? Would they call like someone at the courthouse or would they, 
you know, talk to their MPP or MP or senator or, or governor, who would they call to say, hey, we've got to fix this? Or would it be, the, again, the chiefs from, let's say, in uh, First Nations communities? What would well, you... well, it's, it's got to be a collective project. It's got to be um, one person, one organization, one community can't, can't change a system. And mm-hmm. lawyers can't change a system. And uh, n- nobody seems to have uh, enough power kind of thing. Uh, but, I mean, it's a collective um, project. And if everybody kind of does their share, um, you know, towards change. But change, change is slow to come. But it has changed. There has been change. But I just feel like more change could uh, be coming quicker there's mm-hmm. no reason why it has to be so slow. Uh, it could, could be coming quicker, but everybody can do their share. Yes. Absolutely. And you know. so for people that would be interested to uh, purchase your book, Annette, uh, how would they uh, contact you and where can they purchase your book? Uh, Overrepresented it's, is the title of Annette's book. Mm-hmm. How would they contact you? First of all, yeah. Please. So I, I do have a website. Okay. And uh, I I sent my son to college to uh, to do this. Oh, <laughs> and, there uh, you so go. He, he put up a website for me. Good for you to make put your kids to work. <laughs> put, put them to work. <laughs> yeah. And and so the events that I attend uh, are are there. I do. I'm doing a book launch uh, this Monday at the. Uh, Hammer or Valley East uh, Library okay. in the evening, six to seven thirty, and I'll be there. And what? there's other event, other events that I attend as well, and and they're all on my website. People and... are also welcome to order the book from Friesen Press, and uh, Friesen Press. Okay. Yeah, and uh, at the moment they're they're able to order from uh, Google as well. Okay. And um, but that might be changing in the near future. So, uh, okay. one of the two, either they they um, get it, you know, from one of the events I attend, and I try to stay very very involved and present mm-hmm. uh, in the community and elsewhere. And, now, what is the title? Is always there. What is the name of your website, please? Annette Vermet Author. Dot. Okay, Annette, A-N-N-E-T-T-E. Vermette is your last name, uh, V-E-R-M-E-T-T-E, and... Author. And it's all one title, one word, more or less. Yeah. Author, and so that is the name of your website. And your book launch in the Greater Sudbury, Ontario area is at the Hanmer Hanmer, uh, Library, and what night would that be? This is... uh... October 16th mm-hmm. at uh, 6 p.m. Okay, and then anything going on after that? Uh, no, I haven't planned anything. Uh, oh, I see, as far as activities, oh, my goodness, um, I don't have my list in front of me. <laughs> That's okay. Can, people can <laughs> yeah. reach you through the website. Uh, yeah. what's, what I know is... October is a, real, a really busy month there. What is, and, uh, what do, but they're they're all listed on my website too. On your, and I'm sorry, I don't have. That's okay. Um, my commitments written down in and front of me there. Who was your Who was your publisher or work? What is so it? So, Press. Is, How do you spell uh, that, please? Self-publishing 
helper. Okay. And, and so uh, it is uh, called self-published, and, okay. but they do all the work. They do the editing, they do the copying, uh, they, they um, get, you know, the ISBN number for you, they put everything mm-hmm. together, and then, and then they send me books. And, cool. Um, so it's F-R-E-I. I-E. Yeah. F-R-I-E. I-E. F-E-N. Okay, so, and that is for people that are interested to possibly write their own book, and that's the publishing company that you use to write yours. But again, uh, for for our listening audience, uh, to to contact Annette, you just uh, access her website on the, on the net, on the internet at Annette Vermet Author. And her book, again, is called Overrepresented. It is uh, based on her uh title also subtitle is indigenous women as profit makers for the canadian judicial system and you're saying it's it's getting a little bit of buzz out there it is who's who's buzzing (laughs) 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 who's buzzing who's who's like has their clutching their pearl pearls right now saying oh my goodness how dare she say talk about the judicial system profiting from incarcerating indigenous women Who's clutching their pearls? I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that one's going to have to wait for the next story. Oh, oh darn. <laughs> I'm trying to wrap my head around that one. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, my my elder, my Métis elder, Juliette Denis, uh, when when she did, uh, when she read the book and, and provided, um, you know, uh, uh, um, a piece for it, she wrote a very interesting and compelling perspective related to a significant current challenge it merits serious consideration and i was hoping she was right that it would merit serious consideration and and so um that is the buzz that's going around right now and i'm happy for that good Um, well hopefully the podcast that we did today uh will also generate some buzz and you can share all you want to all your people and don't forget to hashtag i use hashtag a lot when i'm when i promote something so thank you ever so much joanne oh i thank you for being my wonderful interesting guest annette i really enjoyed our conversation and thank you for bringing such an awareness to to something i never thought of before that uh yeah, they want to keep the wheels turning and uh, instead of healing and making a change and then being uh, innovative like the a country Norway saying, you know, maybe there's a better way to treat yeah. human beings. Yeah, there and is a better way. I applaud you for, for writing this. Did you end up getting your master's or that's still on the, uh, that's, no. that's on no. the back burner maybe? <laughs> yeah. I, I decided to write instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope you make the big bucks and also be involved with possibly an organization organization that might, uh, you know, get together and say, okay, let's make a trip. Let's go to Norway. Let's learn from, from another country that's doing this a little bit better than we are over here in Canada. Let's go check that out. Yeah. Well, you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Annette, for being my guest and, I, I'm so proud of you for, for you know, doing what you did. Uh, 
and uh, becoming educated in, in social work and then writing a book and bringing an, an awareness to something that uh, most people never had any idea about. And I appreciate that. So you take well, good care you so and reach out to me any other time. If you have another book you, you publish or something comes up, I'd love yeah. to hear from you again. It is coming, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, that could be for another episode on my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All, All right. right. You take you so care. Much, All righty. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.